Now, podcasting to Ottawa Senator fans around the world. Around the world. It's the Sins Nation Podcast. From praising Alfie to Brady Kachuk and everything in between. If it matters to Sins fans, we're talking about it right here. And now, here's Steve Warren. All right, coming up today on the show, Craig Anderson kind of sad he's going to miss all the fun in a few years when the Sens get really good. we got uh, some birthdays coming up, uh, some interesting names there. The Sens have a new president of business operations. Will this, will this finally be the guy on the same page as the Sens' fairly volatile owner? And so much more here on the Sens Nation podcast, episode numero nine. And my co-host, as always, the coach, Greg Kennedy. How are things, Greg? Very good, Stephen. How are you? I am top-notch. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm jonesing for a little hockey. We had a little NFL draft action last night as we're recording this. So that was nice to actually see some sports actually occurring. Not games per se, but meaningful sporting news that I cared about. So that was kind of cool. And we have news about the potential NHL draft to talk about today, too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we can uh, we can jump on that right out of the gate today. We have, uh, you know, the angle of what's to become of the NHL draft and the timing of it. We know it's going to happen at some point. But Pierre Lebrun tweeted out this week that he thought there was a chance anyway that they might, and I've seen this in some other places as well, uh, they might hold the draft as early as early June, even before they resume the NHL season, which leads to all kinds of weird logistics, like how will you hold the draft lottery? What impact will that have on the Ottawa Senators' chances, which at the moment, if it's the status quo and they do it the way they've been doing it in recent seasons, the sense of an amazing shot at getting number one overall. Like they've got great draft status. So what do you think is going to happen if it all goes down that way? Well, I, I still think that they will hold the draft at some point, obviously. Uh, the talk in the article from, from Pierre Lebrun there was that they're going to hold it basically on schedule was the idea, which means more than likely it's going to be held before the end of the Stanley Cup playoffs if there is such a thing. So you've got questions here right off the bat about, okay, how do you determine the order? Not not just the, the lottery teams. How do you determine the order of the playoff teams in your in your draft list I, I i don't know how they're going to come up with a solution there yeah um i'm i'm hoping that uh i, I just as long as they keep it because i saw i think it was um bob mckenzie let me just get that i'm gonna grab it here right now so i'm not talking out of my ace Of course, my internet works really fast when I'm recording a radio show out here in the sticks. Okay. So this was the latest from Bob McKenzie. Uh, McKenzie was talking about an early June draft and not a late one. So this is more of a an update on what Pierre Lebrun was talking about and that they might actually use the old draft lottery rules, meaning only one winner and that team could only move up four spots. So that means only the teams in the bottom five have a shot 
at Alexei Lafreniere. So that was just reports and discussion from Bob McKenzie. Nothing firm there, but uh, that could mean really good things for the Ottawa Senators. Yeah, but why would they do that? Why would you change the? You've got your non-playoff teams. Like, why would I, I'd be upset if I was, you know, one of those teams at six, seven, eight that could still get one, and now I can't. Why not? Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know exactly where that comes from. What the uh, source of that is? Probably something to do with the fact that, you know, there. Are we going to finish the regular season? Are we not? And if we aren't, then obviously uh, you need to accommodate the whole situation. But I don't know. I have no idea why they changed it up. I'm sure they've got their reasons, but uh, that's just a report from Bob McKenzie. So uh, I think it would be great, though, because um, I don't know if that anybody outside the bottom five necessarily should have a shot at number one overall. Well, that's a whole other story for a, a whole other day. Like, yeah, I, I I didn't agree when they made they widened or opened up the odds for those teams that are, like I said, seven, eight, nine, and ten. That that seems strange to me when they did that. But I think the bigger issue here with this draft is what about all those conditional picks? What about the guy you picked up at the trade deadline and you gave up a second round pick for him? But if he plays twelve playoff games, that pick becomes a or you add a second round pick to it, or it becomes a first round pick, or conditions based on a player that I picked up whenever, if we make it to the Stanley Cup final, like in the case of the Islanders, right? Don't the, the Senators get their first rounder next year if the Islanders win the Cup this year? So what happens right. with those kind of conditions in a, if you if you hold a draft without a playoff? Right, yeah, exactly. Or if you have no playoffs and no Stanley Cup winner is awarded, which is not their... It seems low on their priority list, but you'd have to think that that's at least a possibility. I mean, if this thing goes till Christmas and we still aren't playing hockey, then you have to almost think, okay, we gotta we gotta just sort of scrub, you know, scrap this whole 2020 Stanley Cup and, and start anew. And if that happens, well, nobody won, so uh, I mean, it just it opens up a, a whole bunch of different discussions that they're going to have to account for. Um, anyway, it's an inter- interesting uh, discussion to figure figure out where we are. I just think it's not it's it's almost not fair. When I make a trade of somebody, I consider the pick that I'm getting from you to be an asset, right? And I have negotiated with you to say, "Hey, I'm I'm sending you a pretty darn good player, and if he's your leading scorer in the playoffs, I want more than the fourth you're giving me. I want a third or a second or whatever." You've negotiated yeah. that deal, and it just seems a shame that these guys are going to lose all those condition type things. I, I don't know. And what about all these teams that gave up pretty, you know, some decent assets for playoff rentals? Guys, they have no interest whatsoever in re-signing. So let's say J.G. Pajot did not re-sign with the New York Islanders, signed a long-term contract, he did. But let's say he didn't, and, you know, the Islanders, uh, let's say, um, <clears throat> that's a bad, I mean, the Islanders have a chance, i got to look at the standings, Let's say for the, for the sake of argument, the Islanders missed the playoffs. Um, like that, that just, I mean, ridiculous. Like I think they're in though right now. I'd have to double check. Are they in or out right now? Well, they're, it depends if you're going by points or winning percentage. <laughs> yeah. So for the sake of argument, let's say the Islanders are out. They don't play any more regular season. The NHL decides that, uh, you know what, you're not in the playoffs. It's like, wow, that was uh, that was a really great uh, use of a playoff rental scenario and, and an asset that we had to give up here. 
yeah. So I guess it does work on both sides. You you you've acquired a player and you, you really only got four or five games out of the guy. Like like look at a Tyler Toffoli goes to Vancouver. What did he play? Maybe five or six games. They gave up something to get him. I don't even remember what it yeah. was now. But uh, you know they gave up something to get him, and they're not even really going to use him. And what if he doesn't sign in the summer? Yeah, yeah. So if the, I mean, if the whole season gets wiped out, and you've done a playoff rental thing, and you give up an asset, he's like, wow, that was just completely uh, a waste of, of an asset. Hey, let's get to the birthdays, huh? Hmm? Huh? <laughs> uh, I looked at them. I looked at them today, and I said to myself, of the Sens alumni, I've got like two guys that uh, are meaningful and there's a whole whack of guys that really really were fringe nhl players so turning 27 this week was mika zibanejad like that would be your big one and then marty havlat 41 this week easily one of the worst trades easily two of i mean yeah and and it's interesting they're both you know Ones that got away. They were both involved in trades that a lot of Sens fans would like to have back. Agreed. But hey, water under the bridge. We're moving on. I suppose. The Havlat one was really stupid. So stupid. Was that a money deal? Was that a had to get rid of the contract? Is that what that was? With Havlat, he was a year away still from free agency. Uh, but they had just a few days earlier lost Chara and got nothing in return. He left for Boston in UFA. Havlat was still a year out. Uh, you could have rode him for a while to the to the trade deadline. Um, and But they decided, you know what, we're going to deal this guy now. And, and I don't know why, but they, they, they made a terrible, terrible trade for Marty Havlat, who went on to have a few good seasons with the Chicago Blackhawks. And wouldn't it have been nice to have him around for that following season where oh i don't know they just went to the stanley cup final that year tell me that with havlat and with chara still in your lineup tell me you don't have a considerably better chance of claiming the holy grail and if ifs and nuts were no if ifs and butts were candy and nuts we'd open a candy store no what is it if ifs ifs and butts were candy and nuts we'd all have a merry christmas okay there you go all right, so you're only, you got uh, Zabanajad 27, and you've got uh, Havlat 39, right? This is the full list from the last seven days. Peter Shastlevy, Kent Painter, Francois LaRue, Blair Achenham, Derek Armstrong. Like, whoa. And there's also Derek Grant. He's 30. Correct, and he's also played for seven teams in seven years. Um, and I got wondering, okay, who holds the record and might he have a shot? Because, again, he's only 30. I know the answer. Uh, Grant played for Ottawa, Calgary, Buffalo, Nashville, Anaheim, Pittsburgh, and Philadelphia. And um, the guy who has the record is 12. He played for 12 teams. Do you know who that is? Mike Sillinger. Nice. Nice one. Yeah, Including former Ottawa, Ottawa no? Senator. Yeah, that's right. Former Ottawa Senator. And I got 19 guys. Did the stats on it. 19 guys have played for nine or more NHL teams. Nine. And five played for the Sens of those 19. Wow. You know what always shocks me? You know how many teams Paul Coffey played for? Hmm. Six or seven? Oh, God. It's, I think it's eight. Hmm. It's crazy. 
Some of these guys are crazy. But you're telling me there's five guys who played for nine teams? There are five Ottawa Senators who played for wow. nine teams or more. And uh, overall, there are 19 guys in the NHL who played for nine teams or more. Wow. Okay, I have to think about that. Yeah, no, it's not easy. There are not a lot of big names here for sure. You'll know them all, though, I think. Mike Sillinger being one. You already got that one. Right. Then you got uh, a guy who played one game for the Sands. <laughs> okay. The great Bobby Dulles. I was going to say Bobby Dulles. Yeah, he's the one we all know only played one game. Then you have Grant Ledyard, Dean McCammond, and Randy Robitaille. Oh, yeah. Suitcases all. Exactly. Yeah, not a lot of big names. Not a lot of big names. So what do you think about the Sens coming up with a new president of business operations in Anthony LeBlanc? Do you think this guy um, has any chance at all of success given how many of his predecessors, all the good folks in suits and business attire, who have left this team in frustration? I got to believe that... They got it right this time, just because they've gotten it wrong so many times previous, that there's just no way that they would allow this to happen again. There's no way that they're going to go hire somebody who even might have an inkling of being mildly unhappy a year from now. There's just, I can't see it. This guy's here for the long haul, no doubt in my mind. Wow, I like your optimism, but I felt exactly that same way when they hired Jim Little as CEO because I heard so many good things about him. He's got this great track record business-wise, and he spent two months on the job. So I, th I think of all the guys of the past as well, whether it's Tom Anselmi, whether it is Ruskowski and uh, Amy Dizel, I just I, I can't have a lot of optimism. At least he's local. He, he's a season ticket holder. Um, and he's also been through situations where he was in, I guess, shaky situations in the past, being with Arizona from 2013 to 2017. And that was a time when it seemed like, God, every second headline in the NHL was coming out of Arizona wondering whether they would continue or not, or will they move, will they fold, what's happening with the rink. And he was able to sail through some pretty stormy waters there. So any sort of, you know, rocky waters that Eugene Melnick puts out for this guy, he'll at least have been used to them. <laughs> yeah. I'm telling you, this guy's here for this guy's here for the long haul. No doubt in my mind. He, you've got you've got a, a guy who who has knows the land, um, a guy with NHL experience like you just outlined, um, a guy who has to know what it's like to be around Mr. Melnick, to be involved with the Senators uh, the, the peculiarities, uh, the specifics of a uh, low-budget team. Uh, you know, and then on the other side of the coin, you got to believe that the Senators and, and Melnick and the firm that they use out of New York to, to help with the hiring, you got to believe they've done their homework. Please tell me they've done their homework. They've done yeah. their due diligence. They've checked the guy out fully, and this is the guy. LeBlanc was most recently a founding partner in Schooner Sports and Entertainment. That was the group trying to bring a CFL team to Halifax. And I guess they'd be the Atlantic Schooners. And uh, I don't know. that. Obviously, an NHL gig is something that any sports executive would covet, particularly compared compare to the CFL. I don't know. I don't, I don't even know if you're a big CFL fan. Do you think that uh, 
And it is the schooners, after all. Do you think he was potentially jumping off a sinking ship there? Well, that's what you thought, eh? That's you, you're kind of thinking that in the back of your mind. I, I like, sure, I'm a CFL fan, uh, but I have no idea of the inner workings or how strong a bid that is, or how they're doing out there in Halifax. From what I understand, it's going to be a go. Eventually, it's going to happen out there. But I don't know whether he was leaving a sinking ship or climbing up the ladder from CFL to NHL is definitely a step up. No doubt. Yeah. Um, one of the founding partners on the Halifax side of things said that they remain committed, like you said, to developing a community stadium in Halifax and bringing the CFL's 10th franchise to Atlantic Canada. I would think that um, negotiating with a city and uh, city councillors and all that to try and get a stadium built for the CFL in a city that's never really had any kind of anything close to major sports. Um, I got to think that would be a frustration unto itself as well. Those would not be smooth waters either, not to mention you're dealing with an entirely different kind of a bracket financially speaking. Oh, yeah. like the, You might say the Senators are a low-budget team. I'm sure the Halifax Schooners are pretty low-budget as well. But it's nice that I, I don't know how far along those negotiations have been. But, hey, we could use somebody who's got some experience negotiating with a city council about a new sports facility. That is true. That is true. Um, all right. Well, Anthony LeBlanc, president of business operations now for the Sens. And it will be interesting to see if uh, if that goes well. And uh, and they and you're right. I'm hoping I'm hoping I'm. Hoping you're the one that's right in this discussion. Most of the time, I'm like, I, I want to win every every battle, every debate. This one, I'm hoping you're the big winner and that you, uh, you're right that he's going to be a guy here, here for the long haul. Um, Craig Anderson held court with the media this week via Zoom. Nobody could do anything unless they're on Zoom. And uh, <laughs> he had a couple of interesting thoughts. Uh, you know, one being that he's he, he kind of caught himself because he's still a member of the Ottawa Senators. But he is eh, going to be 39 next month. And he's kind of caught up. You know, all the young guys, they can see what's simmering here. So many great young players on the way. Bunch more coming in this year's draft. And he kind of caught himself when he's talking about his excitement level, realizing, okay, I'm going to miss all, all the fun in a few years when the Sens get really good. And uh, I don't know if that was a shot to some degree that he expects the next two years at least because i would think that craig anderson in the back of his mind still thinks he can be here playing goal uh either for the ottawa senators or for some other nhl team for at least a couple more years so he's basically saying you know it's going to be well after i've retired he said uh before the sends are really good but he did say he was kind of sad that he's going to miss the fun well i see that the future is bright i mean we've we've got many many good pieces that are that are young uh energetic uh you know, good, good leaders, guys that are willing to, to put in the work to do it the right way. And they're just going to drag along the other guys that, that are kind of on the fence. So, um, you know, the future is bright, you know, you got to add, you know, a few more pieces to, to what we have, obviously, you know, all great teams, um, go through times where, where they're not very good and they get good pieces and they build around those pieces. So it's a matter of getting the right pieces in place. And I feel that, uh, with the young guys we've got there, um, they're the ones that, that are going to have to take this ball by the horn and run with it. So uh, I'm pretty confident in, in the guys that we have. And, um, you know, I'm kind of excited to, for, for those guys. I'm also, you know, 
kind of sad on my end because, you know, by the time that, that we do add all the pieces, uh, I'll definitely be uh, well out of the league. All right, so there's Craig Anderson, courtesy of Sens TV, and his uh, chit-chat with the media this week. Did you see what the Bruins did? Yeah, yeah, 2013, or 2011 reunion, was it? Yeah, they had all the, uh, well, they had 19 of the guys who were on that Stanley Cup team uh, watching a game together and talking about it all on Zoom. It was pretty cool. I had a buddy who actually uh, said, you know what, I need to see this same thing again for the, I guess that'd be 2013 Boston Bruins and uh, have them all get together to relive the comeback from a 4-1 deficit in Game 7 against the Leafs to oust them in the first round. That would be entertaining. I would watch that. (laughs) (laughs) I love watching that period, that third period over and over again. Yeah. Absolutely just the best. But we're sure Craig Anderson's done, right? We're like he's he says he played his last game for the Ottawa Senators. Yes, he's done. I don't know that he knows it or that he's willing to admit it, but uh, the Senators will not be re-signing him. I think I'm with you on that, and uh, I have been throughout the podcast's young history. But there's still about I'd say there's about a twenty percent chance where they say, you know what, you come, you, know, you bring him back for a one-year deal because you're not satisfied that. The kids are 100% ready and just you know, have them around as a mentor and kind of a, a thank you contract because I don't think anybody expects the Ottawa Senators to do a ton in the coming season. I don't know. I, I still think there's a chance. I personally would probably move on from Craig Anderson in the here and now and, and not add another contract, yet another one, uh, to the pile. Well, if you're Craig Anderson, are you signing a one-year contract or you're not going to get to keep looking until you get two years from somebody else? Like, can he not get a two-year deal somewhere? Maybe, maybe not. But I wouldn't. I, I maybe a one and a one, a one year and an option year, at the team option for the second year. But I can't see him signing for one year, and I just I can't see them offering him two years. It just it's it's not going to happen. They're just going to let him go. Shake hands and thanks. You've been great, and we'll we'll throw a night for you in a couple of you know when the season starts up again. Yep, I think I agree. Um. Greatest goalie in Sens history, though, as he uh, walks out the door. Uh, But Craig Anderson wasn't the only senator to hit Zoom this week. Anthony Duclair did this sort of four-man interview. He had uh, fellow NHLers Chris Letang, Pierre-Luc Dubois, David Perron, and it was one of those lighthearted, off-the-page, get-to-know-you kind of interview. Unfortunately, it was all in French, so here on an English podcast, not much good to us. Then I remembered, you know what, I just did a lighthearted, off-the-page, get-to-know-you kind of interview with Duclair just before the whole COVID thing started. So let's get to know Anthony Duclair. Going back, thinking back to your childhood, who would you say is most responsible for Anthony Duclair being a pro hockey player today, other than yourself, because you did all the work? (laughs) uh, Both my parents. um, I can't choose between either one. What are their names? uh, Wendell Duclair and Dominic Raphael. Um, you know, they sacrificed so much for me and uh, my little brother back home and, um, you know, just driving me to the rinks. I remember uh, we had practices, I think, Saturday mornings around like 4 or 5 a.m. Uh, every Saturday. And my dad would bring me and it was just no questions asked. It's just sometimes I'd be on the ice, <clears throat> different practices like three, four times a day because uh, I just loved it, loved skating. And uh, my dad really saw that and uh, really pushed me to, you know, to be the best that I can be. And, um, you know, uh, they did everything to, for me to have the right equipment and, and stuff like that. I, you know, financially, we weren't, uh, 
you know, very gifted uh, as a child, but, uh, you know, they did everything they, they could. As, as a child, you don't really see that, but as you grow older, you sort of more understand uh, what they've been through and, uh, you know, really appreciate what they've done for me and wouldn't be here without them. Does your little brother play as well? Yeah, yeah, he's 17. He plays uh, midget AAA back home uh, for the Laxenby Lions, so same midget team that I played for. Okay. Yeah. And what's his name? Christopher. Christopher, yeah. okay. Who would you say that you're the guys you hang out most with on this team? Uh, I hang out with everybody, to be honest with you. Uh, like uh, Shabbat, uh, Tierney, Brownie, um, Chucky. I mean, you're going to name the whole roster yeah, for me, actually. I mean, honestly, like, <laughs> but that's a good it, sign. It, yeah, it, de- it depends on the day or what we're doing or whatever. I've probably been to dinner with almost everybody, so yeah, um, yeah it don't matter to me. At what stage did you feel in your hockey career that you had you maybe had what it takes to maybe make the NHL sometime when did that light go off where you said I might have something here uh I mean I can't <clears throat> put it like an exact day but uh you know I always knew as a kid that's that's the only thing that was on my mind um you know you get those that uh question from your, your teacher I remember getting that like what do you want to do when you're older put, put it on a piece of paper and um, you know, it's it's sort of a cliche story, but it actually happened. And I, I just I, I don't know what to think if I didn't play hockey. So I think around honestly, like Pee Wee Bantam, uh, you know, just going to Montreal Canadian games at the Bell Center. Um, every time I walk in that rink, just my eyes lit up, and this is what I wanted to do. And um, you know, I I wanted to work as hard as I can to to reach this this point. I I knew it was going to be tough, obviously, but. Uh, you know, uh, my dad really saw that in me and uh, wanted to help me as much as he can to, to reach that dream. Joined by Sens winger Anthony Duclair. And almost everybody that I talk to in these types of features, Anthony, um, there's always that place because there's minor hockey and competitive hockey practice, all that stuff. But that can only be part of it. Most NHLers have a place where the game really took off for them, whether it's an outdoor rink, the driveway, the garage, the basement. What was that place for you? Um... Like I said, going to watch the games, the Montreal Canadian games at the, the Bell Center. Um, um, you know, just watching guys like Sakakoivu, Kovalev. Uh, you know, I remember Sheldon Surrey, the big slap shot uh, back in the day. Uh, you know, Jose Theodore making the huge saves. Um, you know, I we didn't I didn't go to games often because the tickets were so expensive. But any time uh, we had a chance to go. Um, that that was really the the turning point for me, where you know I I wanted to make a living out of this, and um, yeah, that was the, for sure that was one of the big turning points. What about spare time? Let's uh, talk about some of the stuff you might do in the city of Ottawa. Um, you have an off day. What do you get up to in town? I'm really low key. I really, um, you know, don't do much to be honest. <laughs> uh, it doesn't matter if it's in Ottawa or the other places I've been to. Um, you know, I like my naps, love my naps, I need to nap every day. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, occasionally I'll go shopping, uh, but uh, I do most of my shopping online, to be honest. And, um, you know, I'll go to movies. Uh, like, I love movies, uh, big TV show movie guy. Right. Uh, I do that on the plane all the time. You know, guys like to play cards and stuff, but... What are you binging on TV right now? I watch like maybe a hundred shows at a time. I'll watch like <laughs> an episode of like Suits and then go to Walking Dead and then Billions and then 
uh, Narcos, uh, you know, you name it. Uh, you know, there's a lot of shows I'm watching at the same time. So, are you still into Walking Dead right now? I was into it big time. I, yeah, me too. And then too. the lead characters all just seem does it disappear? It's like, yeah. and the only one guy they have, Negan, with the baseball bat, he's yeah. like the most interesting character, and they don't seem to use him very much. Yeah, I didn't. Like, I don't know. I don't want to ruin it. Did you finish? I, I haven't finished it yet. Oh, okay, I don't want to ruin okay. it. But yeah, I'm still the last. I haven't finished it either. Okay. I'm in the last season. I'm grinding through it, and it's what is it, season nine now. Yeah, we yeah. still don't know how it all started so i was like oh man so that's, i'm taking more of my time with that one yeah. but uh yeah <laughs> you have one song you can choose to pump you up for the big game is there a such a song for anthony duclair i'm gonna have to look at my playlist here. okay he's going to his phone ladies and gentlemen <laughs> more of a like hip-hop uh, okay. rap kind of guy so uh big drake future fan migos um does Drake I mean, Batherson like that you're a Drake fan? <laughs> I call him Drizzy. Nice. So, and, he, and he loves it. That's a, it's a He didn't name. like Bath Time. I heard Bath Time was bath not a. Time, I was man. not a big. Yeah, you know, he wasn't a big fan of that one. <laughs> <laughs> I like uh, well, Future and Drake. I guess made made a new song. It's called Life Is Good. Okay. Um, also, all right, that's as good as any. Yeah. What about? Um, it's all good. Hey, Smitty, how are you, buddy? <laughs> good to see you. Hey, how are you doing? So. What are you a video game guy? Fortnite or anything? Uh, I played last summer and I stopped. Okay. Uh, I was playing with my cousins a little bit, and then not a big video game guy at all. Not a big video game guy. All right. Well, that is a little background today on Anthony Duclair. All right, that music's bugging me. Moving on now, here on the Sens Nation podcast. So as mentioned, the NFL had their draft this week and I just really want to talk about how pissed off I am about my Green Bay Packers drafting a quarterback in the first round when you've got Aaron Rodgers who still has five or six good years left I just don't understand it Aaron Rodgers comes up to the Packers and says we need some offensive weapons you know I went 14 and 3 last year and I only had one freaking receiver can you maybe get me a receiver uh, mm, tell you what, what we'll do is get your replacement in the first round. And it's not like there weren't any receivers out there. Exactly. Anyway, I digress on the NFL draft. Um, everything being conducted online. It's kind of funny watching GMs. You know, there's Bill Belichick in what looks like a house that was built in 1955 or something like that. That looks like a, I don't know, a bungalow in some low rent area. Uh, but that's the rumpled Bill Belichick. And then you see other guys who are in these mansions. It's quite funny to watch that. But uh, going into the draft, they had a mock draft. and They had a bunch of technical issues with it. And it got me remembering back in the early days of the Ottawa Senators, like the very infancy of the club. I don't know if you remember any of this stuff, but at their expansion draft, yes, exactly. Uh, at their expansion draft, for starters, they didn't understand the rules. They kept drafting guys who were fully ineligible, I think, two or three times, and that's where all the Ottawa Apologizes stuff came from. But they also, and this is before, just at the time when laptops started becoming a thing at drafts, they brought their laptop. What they didn't do is bring their charger. So the laptop went completely dead. All their draft information, gonzo, and lots of Ottawa apologizes. So they were horrible in that first year. And uh, I don't know. I don't know if how, if it affected the talent pool that they came away with from that expansion draft. I don't know. But it couldn't have helped any. That's for sure. 
<laughs> it was interesting. I, I I read an article. You flipped me something to like flashback article. Um, and Bruce Firestone was saying that, that it was the laptop was the excuse. And Randy Sexton said, I don't remember anything about any laptop. I don't remember that problem. Uh, the problem that Randy Sexton was saying was that the NHL kind of changed the rules a day or two before the draft, and really only one staff member bothered to read it, and he didn't share it with everyone else. So their their made mistakes was they were taking a player from a team who'd already lost two players, and two players was the maximum you were allowed to lose. What a difference in this in the whole protection process. Like, yeah, to have every NHL team now, and you got uh, two teams that are picking, by the way. Not just one, like Vegas had two teams picking. Uh, every NHL team that year was in '92 allowed to protect 14 skaters versus what Vegas had, which was either eight skaters or what was it, seven forwards, three defense, and of course one goalie in both both scenario. But oh my God, so much better, so much better. Right. But it still could be worse. You could have done, was it the Rough Riders or was it the Renegades or was it the, who who drafted the dead guy? Joanne Pollock, I think. No, no, no. Joanne would uh, would strangle me if I if I let that stand. Joanne and I actually did morning radio for a couple of years in what, one of my early jobs. Yeah, she was great. Um, but uh, no, not Joanne. That would have been Garney Henley. Oh, was it? Okay. Yep. <laughs> well. Was, the Rough Riders drafted a dead player, so Ottawa apologizes is nowhere near as bad as Ottawa drafting a dead guy. Yeah, that's not easy to do. That's just that's just basically going. I've heard of that guy. Is it's uh, have done no research whatsoever. You have, I haven't even picked up a phone to find out if his heart is still beating. That to me speaks to a lack of preparation. Well, there was there was one team in the NHL one year, sort of as a joke just made up a name and drafted the guy. And I yes. want to say yes. it was Scotty Bowman in Buffalo. <laughs> just made up a name and said, yeah, we're taking this guy. So his name was Taro Sujimoto. And he was a completely fictitious player selected by the Sabres, 183rd overall in the 11th round of the 1974 draft. There you go. I was right. You were. Well, you got the team anyway. So it was Punch Imlach, Okay. he was just totally fed up with how slow everything was, drafting via telephone, and he basically at the ex- just decided to have some fun at the expense of the league, at the expense of Clarence Campbell, who was the president at that stage, and he said, you know what, just create a fictional player, said to one of his PR guys. And so um, the PR guy said, you know what, let's just really go all in this. We want the guy to be of Asian descent. Um and just went all in. And I guess as a college student, the PR guy would drive from Buffalo to St. Bonaventure, and he'd regularly pass a store called the Sujimoto store, and the name just stuck in his head, so he absolutely wanted to go that way. So that's how that came to be. And now you know the rest of the story. But think of that, though. The 11th round. (laughs) We don't do that anymore. No, no. I think back to like Brian Elliott, like he was uh, he was a crazy late draft pick as well. Like at what stage did we kind of shut this down at the seven round deal? Yeah, I don't know what year that was, but it, it used to be you could go until every team passed. Like look at some of the older drafts, like uh, early seventies, and you'd have you'd go to round twenty two where only Montreal was still taking players. 
I mean, put in perspective, when that gag pick by Punch Imlach in 1974 was made, that's the 11th round, but there were half the number of teams. So 11th round isn't that insane when you compare the fact that we're, we're about to add a 30-second team here. So seven rounds of 32, that's a lot of hockey players. Yeah. Like, like a first-round pick is nothing compared to what it used to be. Ooh, I went in the first round. Okay, but you went 30th. Yeah, it's true. It's like a fifth-rounder pre-expansion, pre-1967. All right. Um, I wanted to ask you about women's hockey. Um, that's sort of, I guess, more in my wheelhouse because I coached it for a long time, but I know you, you have a soft spot for it too. And the National Women's Hockey League has uh, expanded into Toronto. That happened this week. And I, I, I'm just really confused by the way the women's pro game is going about their business. Uh, I think if you ask me for my opinion of it, I think it's a good step just because I think it's better to play than to be boycotting. I don't think that's any way to grow your game. It, it, it made no sense to me. There's, there's no revenue to speak of, and you are boycotting because you want more money. I understand that you want more money and you want to have like a full-time salary so it's your full-time job, but there isn't any money. So they sh- to me, instead of boycotting, it's like, okay, what can we do? How can we work with ownership and the, and the league to try to increase revenues so that someday we can get to the point that we'd like to get to? It's just a business model. It's not a, a gender thing per se or anything like that. It's just like, I understand these women, especially the ones that are the elite of the elite, they work every bit as hard as an NHL player does. Uh, what the problem is, is that no one's going to their games. So from a business model perspective, you can't put the cart before the horse. You have to get eyeballs on your game somehow, some way. And I think the very last way you can do that is by not playing hockey. You can't have eyeballs on something that isn't occurring. And so it's it's difficult. I understand the frustration they must feel because, you know, they want, I mean, they, they want maybe just, a, they just want the scraps, the breadcrumbs of, of what an NHL player wants. And they're still nowhere near even getting that. Um, but they do, they have to, they have to get back to work. Um, I'll be interested to see how, if this boycott continues now that the National Women's Hockey League has actually expanded a little bit, a small way. It's only They only have five teams, and now they're adding one more, and it's in Toronto. I don't know that that's going to you know, be a chink in the armor or anything for the women, the 200 or so, that are boycotting right now, but I hope it is. I hope that they sort of go, all right, got to get back to work here. we got to buck up this league. This is apparently where we're going and not just say, oh, we got to kill this National Women's Hockey League. It's not viable long-term because then the NHL is going to be our white knight riding in for us if we do. Well, I think they're they're sitting there thinking that they're going to end up with an NBA, WNBA kind of arrangement. Uh, yeah. No, yeah. That, that, that ain't going to happen. Like, they need to work with ownership, with the league. Certainly the NHL can help, but not to the degree, not to the amount of dollars that the WNBA gets. But the yep. players in this in either league need to work with ownership to come up with ways to increase revenue before they can start boycotting for more money. Okay, let's close it out today with a story from the Golf Channel, which in the Greg Kennedy train of thought took us to a hockey discussion. Um, but yeah, it looks like with COVID happening right now, 
the NCAA uh, and, and, you know, all their member schools, it looks like they're going to apply for some kind of temporary relief. And that could, in the whole flowchart of things, mean that they're going to actually cut some of their programs in sports that maybe don't bring in a lot of revenue, at least for, you know, a four or five year window. And um, could that have any effect on the sport of hockey, do you wonder? Well, I, I, the big schools are going to be okay, right? Obviously, big hockey schools, your, your your Minnesota schools and your Eastern Seaboard, all your New England schools will be just fine. But they're talking about they have to have 14 teams minimum to maintain Div 1 standard or something. So they're saying, look, if we're not making money off the basketball tournament, we're not going to be able to make any money off our football team. We don't know that we're going to have the money to support some of these other teams. And, yeah, I would think some of the smaller schools – it could definitely, if this happens, if they're allowed to cut teams, you could see some hockey teams gone from the NCAA. Yeah, that would suck for sure. Um, what about the CHL, major junior hockey in this nation? Do you think everybody in the CHL comes out of this okay? I don't think so. I think there'll be a lot of teams that, that, that will be in trouble. Now, what degree of trouble they're in, I don't know, but you saw what happened with the 67s when they had to play a couple years out in Canada versus downtown, the numbers, uh, uh, sorry, attendance went down drastically. Revenue is affected. I think there's probably quite a few teams uh, across the country at the CHL level in the Q or the Dub or the O that are gonna gonna face some problems when they get back playing again because they don't have the money to run their programs, and it's gonna trickle down too. Like, how about your CCHL right here in town? Those teams are. Uh, they're they're a little safe in in the sense that the players pay to play there, so their their budget comes the the biggest line in their revenue budget probably comes from players paying them, uh, but also there's there's teams there that do really well and uh, do really well at the gate, and that affects how much money they get they can spend. I'm thinking of the uh, the Carlton places of the league and the uh, Pembroke's of the league who get a full house, and that's that's revenue that that they're not getting right now. What do you think of that? With Tier 2 junior hockey, um, you know, taking in revenues and having the players pay to play. It wasn't always that way. This has only come in, what, in the last 10, 15 years, I want to say? Yeah, or less than that, yeah. It, I mean, it used to be you paid the players to play. Now the players pay to play. So it's completely the, you know, completely switched around. But it's the business model that works and allows these leagues to stay in business. And as long as they've got players willing to pay, then you've got a business. Uh, but then there are teams who, who recruit players from all over North America to come play in the CCHL. And in those cases, they probably fork out a little bit of money to get the kid to come. And there's a, there's, there is still money being spent. Uh, also, they, they move themselves up to what's called Tier 1, so there are certain rules that, that apply there as far as how you travel and feeding the players and equipment deals and, and the, the types of things that you have to give these players to play for you that cost money that, that teams didn't spend before. Like when I first coached in the league in Nepean, we, we traveled by school bus and only a couple road games. When we went to Pembroke, we gave each player a $5 bill and said, stop to wherever and buy your dinner. Nowadays, it's completely different in that league. There's full team meals supplied by the home team to the visitor, and they have to travel on a coach bus. Those things aren't cheap. Nope. No, they are not. Um, well, let's uh, call it a day right there. Maybe we jump on a bus right now 
And that will do it for another edition of the Sens Nation podcast, episode number nine. We'll talk to you again next week, Greg. Thank you, sir. Have a good one. Thanks for being with us on the Sins Nation podcast. New episodes every Tuesday morning. If you enjoyed the show and want to help the nation grow, please visit SinsNationPodcast.com. Leave a positive rating or review. Share the show with other Sins fans. Become a Patreon member or subscribe for free and never miss a single episode. Until next time, go Sins Go!